And so we are in, I want to go back to last week's lesson uh, just momentarily. That's in John 17, uh, verses 11 and 12. I, want, I have a couple of comments to make on that. And I'll read those verses again since it's short, 11 and 12. Jesus said, I will remain in the world. And this is the prayer to his father. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. And, and gosh, I, I, I really want to emphasize how great this must make us feel. That here's Jesus praying to God the Father as God the Father holds you in the palm of his hand because you are saved and you've given your life to Jesus. He holds you, God holds you, and Jesus is praying for you besides that. I mean, think about that. I mean, all those people that came forward this morning and, and, and praying, I want you to know that Jesus and God recognize every one of these issues in your life. And so even as it seems as if his difficulties come up and our health is deteriorating, God recognizes that. Uh, and I want you to see that. And these verses, to me, these verses lift that message up. And so you understand that. And so Jesus is calling for safekeeping for us as he is about to leave this world. And he says, look, I, I took care of them while I, w- while I was here. I gave them your word. I, I protected them from danger. Uh, and so this is a serious note in an otherwise joyful uh, chapter uh, and, it, and a very optimistic prayer. And now here's the thing. One day Christ will return for us. But right now he's not. And so we are in the hands of God. Christ is praying for us. And so Jesus, when he was here, was the first and last line of defense in every way. He deflected the evil. He deflected the barbs of of the Pharisees and the scribes. He deflected the hate. They focused the hate on him. Now he's going. Now where is the hate gonna go? It's gonna go on us. It's gonna go on us because we serve him. And you recognize this. And so uh, just as Jesus was hated, we're going to be hated in equal measure by, by evil, by a world that's lost. And so Jesus says to them, remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you all also. If they obeyed my teaching, they would, will obey your teaching also. They will treat you this way because of my name. For they do not know the one who sent me. And that's from the Gospel of John 15, verse 20. In other words, exactly the way they treated Jesus is the way you should expect to be treated. And they reviled him. They hated him. So as you go out in the world, as you confront evil, and make no mistake about it, this is Satan's planet. You got that? This is Satan's planet. This is the world that Satan has been sent to, the demons, the hundreds of millions of demons, in every corner of the world, in every government of the world, Satan's minions sit. And so we shouldn't be shocked when you see the world uh, devolving as it is. You shouldn't be shocked when you see an incident like Parkland School. You shouldn't be shocked when you hear a young man saying, the demons in my head told me to do it. Do you doubt that? Seriously, do you doubt that? I mean, we talk about someone who's mentally ill, and I believe that he certainly was, but do you doubt that even within that state, that the demons took an opportunity to take advantage. Please, God, protect us. Protect us. And he promises here that he will. Uh, and he says, second, he note, we note that the disciples' danger was great uh, because apart from God's perseverance, 
we would be lost. Now, let me make sure you understand that. Apart from the intervention of God himself, you would be lost. You would be lost. You would succumb to the danger. The danger would surround you. But because God has lifted you up, he has saved you, he holds you in his perseverance that will not change, you are protected. This is an important part. Uh, now, let's, let me make sure you understand something. I don't want you to misinterpret this uh, when Jesus speaks about Judas. Um, and he, here's the point that I may make about that. He, he refers to Judas. And he says, uh, uh, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, by, by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that we may be as one, as we, they may be as one as we are one. Uh, while I was with them, I protected them and came and kept them safe. And then earlier on, I have to find that, that, that line where he refers to Judas. I, I protected them all except Judas, uh, the one who was doomed to perdition. Now let's understand something, what's going on here. I don't want you to think that from the beginning of the world, of the creation of the world, that God said, Judas, you're going to betray Jesus. You're going to hell. There's nothing scriptural that tells us that. You understand? We know that God gives us free will. And so to the extent that God gives us free will, Judas had the free will to become a disciple of Jesus Christ and to be saved. And let me ask you this. If one hour before Jesus, Judas betrayed Jesus, if he gave his heart to the Lord and said, Lord, forgive me, I accept you as the God of the universe, do you think Judas... Uh, would be lost? No, no. Now, don't say, well, the scriptures had to be uh, co uh, prophesied correctly. Yes, they did. But did Judas have to be that one person? No, he did not. So let's understand this. So don't misinterpret this uh, as, as proof that there's no such thing as eternal security. If anything, this passage supports the basis that there's eternal security, because even as Jesus is leaving to go to heaven, he's indicating that he's going to keep us safe. That's what this passage says. And so this is important. Um, and so we understand that if you're not saved, as Judas was not saved, then most likely you're going to be lost. All right? And God will still give you a chance. But if you're not regenerated, if you're not regenerated, uh, here's the point. Who can stand without God? No one. No one can stand without God. If it were not for God, none of us would be able to stand. And that's the point of it. So God does keep us. Uh, that's the very point of these verses. So while Jesus was here in this world physically, God entrusted us to Jesus. Jesus kept them well. He protected them. Now he's going back with God. He's praying there next to God. Not a single person that was given to Jesus was lost. Meaning what? All of those people that gave their hearts uh, and their spirits to Jesus, each one that God held in his hand, not a single one of them would be lost. They would stay within God's keeping. What a great picture this is of God's keeping power. You should leave here today with the biggest smile on your face recognizing that, in, that even as Jesus left this world, he assured us that God would continue to keep you. And this is important when I see so many people hurting and having significant needs as our bodies continue to deteriorate. I want you to know Jesus is praying for you. God is going to keep you. 
Now, it may not be exactly in the timetable that you want. It may not be exactly in the way that you think, but God is concerned about your eternal future. That's what he's concerned about. And so everything he's going to do, everything you're going to go through relates to God being protective of your eternal future. Uh, and so you, you need to do, understand this. There are a terrific, terrific set of verses that I want you to read that relate really to Jesus speaking metaphorically now about being a shepherd. I took care of them. I, I followed them. Uh, they were within your will, and I did your will with them. I want you to turn to Ezekiel uh, 34. Ezekiel 34. And this is a passage in, in which uh, the prophet, through the word of God, is speaking about the bad shepherds, the bad shepherds who were in Israel. Uh, and Jesus is mindful of the bad shepherds. That's the, uh, the Pharisees, the scribe, the so-called religious elite that were not doing their job, who were not loving and taking care of, of their flock. And now Jesus is mindful of that. So turn to Ezekiel 34, verse 11. For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries. I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel and in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in good, in good pasture and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. Then th there they will lie down in good grazing land and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. And you think that God doesn't know your needs. When you read these verses, you bow in humility and submission, and you recognize he'll go out for one. He guarantees that he knows where you are, and he'll protect you. And this is what Jesus is recognizing, that he completed the role of the good shepherd. Now he's giving it back to God, and God will continue to be with us and guide us and protect us and hold us. What a great, great uh, series of verses. This underlies the understanding of eternal security. Once you are saved, once you've given your heart to God, once you are one of the sheep, the sheep, even when they go off, even when they go into ravines, even when they make a mistake, even when they're hurt, the shepherd goes out and brings them back. That's the promise of God. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Let me tell you something. This is significant to understand how God promises protection to us. Really, as I walk with God and I understand his will, I am bowed in, in humility to recognize that the God of creation would care that so much about us, would care so much about us that he would make these promises. And then there's one more point here. Uh, none would be lost. That's what Jesus is saying. We are told here that we are protected by the name of God. What does it mean to be kept in God's name, to be protected by the sovereign, holy creator of the universe, the one who is all-knowing uh, and all-wise and all-compassionate? As we understand this, 
this concept. We are actually in him. We are in him, much like being a fortress. I mean, I want to emphasize this, that this is not some metaphysical uh, protection, that when we are part of God, as he holds us in his hand, we are now part of the body of God. And there's a great verse that refers to this. Look at Proverbs chapter 18, Proverbs 18, Proverbs 18, verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. And so as you understand this, we run into God when times are difficult, when we need protection. We actually run into the fortress of God. Uh, What a mighty uh, scripture that is. And so as we come to understand this very protection of God and the prayer of Jesus, uh, now some might say, well, that means I'm free to sin. I'm free to sin. After all, I'm here. So I'm free to sin. I can have a careless kind of life that I want to do. I can go where I want to do, do what I want to do, and I'm immune from all these things. Really, you're making a very serious mistake if you think this. We should never choose to sin. Uh, Rather, we should seek to please God all the time. When you recognize that the power of the universe is there with you, protecting you, you want to do everything that you can to serve him and bow to him and worship him and acknowledge him and bring his name and presence to a world that is lost. And so we understand that we will persevere. That's the promise. You will persevere because he's with us. Why would we want to devolve from that? Why would we want to go in a different direction? We want to be with him and have him be with us. We want to have our families with him. We want to be the kind of people that lead our families and lead our friends and lead our neighbors to Jesus Christ and to God. And so when he, as we, as he promises us, as Jesus promises us, I'll be with you. I will be praying for you. He is also protecting and persevering our witness, our witness, because what do you do? If you live a kind of reckless life, you've blasphemed God. You're, you're, you have not lifted up the name of God. You've blasphemed the witness of God. And so God is faithful. He is our keeper, and through him all things are possible. And so now we're going to go to the next verse in Gospel of John, verse, uh, chapter 17. We're going to look at verse 13. And you recognize what a powerful chapter this is as we deal with the final discourse of Jesus, speaking to the disciples, praying to God, and now... We're on John 17, verse 13. And now he's praying to the Father. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. The full measure of my joy within them. How many Christians lack joy? Don't all put your hands up at once. It seemed like when I came out of my father's church, I hate to say this, because in many ways it was a fine church, but often, often, if you look at the expressions on people, it looked like they were in a funeral home. It's almost as if people said, oh, we're going to church. Mm, Get serious. Get serious. Wipe that smile off your face. Wipe that smile off your face. It's serious time. We have to show people how serious and pious we are. 
When in reality, Jesus is saying the joy of my, my joy should be prevalent in the church. You should get up in the morning and just be so thankful to God that he has saved you, that he's with you, that he's going to protect you, that he's going to persevere with you. Yes, does that mean that some bad things are going to come your way? Yes, it does, but God is going to be with you. And so here's the key. God wants you to have the joy of Jesus Christ. Uh, it represents the very fullness of the Christian life. If you don't have the joy of the Spirit in your life, you don't really have the fullness of the Christian experience. And so Jesus is speaking of this critical quality missing from many churches today, joy. Uh, and as we study this, uh, th this is the first characteristic, one of the first characteristics of the church. And it's, and it's joy. Now, Jesus' prayer has three parts. First of all, there's a section dealing with Jesus himself. This is all within this verse. A section dealing with the disciples and a final section dealing with those who were to follow them in faith. This prayer moves from stage to stage, uh, from the Lord to the Lord's church. And so as Jesus begins to speak about these characteristics, he expects from us, from the church, he will speak about joy he will speak about truth. He will speak about mission. He will speak about unity, and he'll speak about love. These are the characteristics of the church of Jesus Christ. And so the early church was filled with joy. It was filled with joy. You can imagine coming out of the Jewish experience, coming out of the Old Testament, coming out of the law when nobody could live up to the law. Nobody could live up to the law. Uh, and now through Jesus Christ, uh, the law is superseded by grace, and as God pours his grace into your life, and, and now you're able to live the kind of life that God wants you because of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so when you look at the New Testament, the New Testament is filled with joy. Uh, I did a study in which it said that the word joy in Greek appears 72 times, 72 times in the New Testament. Uh, and so, and the way that the word joy appears is not in high uh, theological sections. It's not in high theological sections, uh, but it's almost an experiential issue. As one Christian greets another, uh, joy be with you, joy be filled with you. And we see this beginning with the announcement of the birth of Jesus to the shepherds. What did the, sh the angels say? I bring you Good news of great joy. How do you like that? I bring you good news of great joy. Joy eternal. Peace eternal for those who are committed to following Jesus Christ. All right. And so there's the announcement of Jesus. Joy being equated with him right from the beginning. That's in Luke chapter 2. Uh, and so Jesus has told us before. Turn to chapter 15, John 15, verse 11. I have told you this to the disciples so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Look, this is a big deal. Jesus wants us to have the joy of his spirit in our heart. He wants us to be joyful. Uh, and, and that's why when we're here on Sunday uh, and we come together and we greet each other, we should be filled with joy. We should be saying, Father, thank you for protecting us. Thank you for giving my brothers and sisters. Thank you for letting me be part of a spiritual family. I would never have this family, but for the gift of Jesus Christ. And you should be filled with joy over that. I mean, it's an amazing thing. And this joy relates to the very fullness of the Christian life. Now, there are other examples of this greeting. 
and, and it's found in Acts chapter 15, all right, verse 23. We can take a look at and You see this in the early church, Acts 15, verse 23. Acts 15, verse 23. With them they sent the following letter, the apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentiles, believers in Antioch, Sirius, and Cilicia, greetings. And the whole point of this was that they were doing it uh, joyfully, joyfully uh, in the spirit of God. Look also at James 1, James 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. And the word greetings there in Greek means joyfully. I bring you joy. That's the nature of these translations that you don't necessarily get that. Uh, And then turn to uh, uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Although I myself have reason for, excuse me, verse 4, verse 4. Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Rejoice twice. Once isn't good enough. How do you like that? Once isn't good enough. Rejoice. Not once, but twice. So is the church joyful today? Are Christians joyful Um, And I would say across the board, if we were to observe churches throughout America this week, I would say predominantly we would not find that joy. We would not find that joy. Uh, And so uh, what is missing? What is the remedy? Are they Christians? Well, we believe they're Christians. I like to tell you they may be day one Christians, right? You understand that right now? They may be day one Christians. They accepted Jesus Christ. But now the question is day two now, are you following the Lord? Are you walking with the Lord? Are you accepting the cross of Jesus Christ? Are you picking up the cross and walking with him? And all those things relate to, to day two. And so uh, I believe that God has provided a remedy for this lack of joy. None of us want to meet, remain gloomy. Uh, what would be the point of this prayer for Jesus if there were not a remedy? That he prays in the way that he does indicates that he's aware of the problem that we so easily develop. And by the way, let's remember what it was like to be alive in that first century church. What do you think? You think it was all great and gravy, right? Oh, yeah, it's good. Oh, who's running the government? Oh, Caesar. Oh. What happens when you step out of line? Well, you get crucified. Well, what about my legal rights? Yeah, you have legal rights. All right? Well, you got legal rights. There's no Social Security. There's no Medicare. You want me to keep going? There's nothing. You're basically, if you live to be 40 years old, you lived a full life, all right? You, you had to go out every day and scratch out a living. You had to bring food in, all right? The, the, I mean, just think about what it was like to be alive during that time, and yet these people are filled with joy. They're poor. They're debased. They're outside of society. They're reviled. They're hated, and yet they are filled with joy because the Holy Spirit has filled their hearts. Because Jesus has filled their heart. That's, what, that's the message for you today, all right? That's what's going to separate us from all these other churches, that God is giving us this remedy. And so what is Jesus saying? Is He's recognizing our need. He knows that we have this need. Uh, and he knows that we suffer from depression. And he knows that our bodies fail. And yet he's giving us a need to recognize, giving us the remedy for this. And the first remedy for a lack of joy is obvious. Uh, it's on the surface of this text. And Jesus says, while I'm still in the world, 
so that they may have the full measure of the joy within them. That means that the basis for joy is sound doctrine. You want to have the joy of Jesus Christ? Then you got to follow Jesus. You have to obey the precepts and the commandments and the word and be submissive and be in him and study his word and pray his word. You have to walk with him. And as you walk with him and keep his precepts, magically, magically, the joy of Jesus fills your heart, fills your life. That's how it is. Now, if you're not living a righteous life, if you're living your own thing, doing your own thing, guess what? You're going to be gloomy. Things don't seem that great. Things aren't working out so well. Why? Well, because I'm doing my own thing. I like my own thing. I like being master of my own ship. Weren't you saved? Well, yeah, I'm saved, but I still feel like I need to control things in my own life. Well, you understand you're stuck in day one. Frankly, I'm wondering whether you may even be saved. Really, I'm wondering about that. And so you see here, Jesus has given you the remedy. The remedy is to follow the precepts of God, to follow his word. Take a look at Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse 14. 119, 14. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. Wow, God, I rejoice in following your law. I, I rejoice in following your commandments. I rejoice in following your words, Jesus. I rejoice in following the life that you've given me. And as I do that, as I follow, as I do that and walk in your will and walk in your way, uh, the joy of the Lord is poured into my heart. Now, what we're talking about in this section is not necessarily a theological doctrine, but almost an experiential knowledge. Meaning what? Meaning this, that as you walk with Jesus, follow his word, follow his law, read the word, pray, associate yourself with other Christians, you begin to establish the heart and mind of a Christian. And as you establish the heart and mind of a Christian, happy is the man or woman who trusts in the Lord. You understand? Because you get up in the morning and it's not like you're in a pinball machine. All right? Because your life is not going to be bouncing around like a marble. Because you have committed yourself to him. You know he holds you. You know Jesus is praying for you. And so you recognize that within this, within this whole system, that whatever goes your way is because somehow God is controlling your life. And so you know what? If God is controlling my life, guess what? I'm okay. All right? I'm okay. Am I going to have some down days? Yes, but I know where I'm headed. I know he's trying to perfect me, build my character, lift me up. Uh, and so happy is the man or woman that trusts in the Lord uh, and have, who has submitted to God. Uh, then we are, you know, we're not in that unsettled quagmire of doubt and turmoil. Uh, but there's something else to be aware of. Jesus talks about fellowship. You want to have the joy of the Lord? You need fellowship. And there's two kinds of fellowship. There's vertical fellowship and there's horizontal fellowship. This is horizontal fellowship. When we come together like this and we pray for each other, when we bring people up here and we pray together as we anoint them, we are establishing the horizontal fellowship of the church of God. And together, as we do this, there is joy that God pours into your heart because you are together. 
you are worshiping together. So don't think you can be a lone wolf. Don't think you don't have to go to church or you don't have to be a part of a Bible study. You prefer to be on your own because you know, you know what those churches are. They could drag you down. They're filled with a lot of sinners. You understand? I don't really want to be there. All right. As I always said, when you find the perfect church, don't join it because you've just wrecked it. (laughs) Don't join it. You've just wrecked it. And so you understand this. This is part of the joy of the spirit, this fellowship, the vertical fellowship. But the vertical fellowship is just as important as it relates to the horizontal, the horizontal. It's all tied together. Jesus and God praying for us. We praying for each other, and together praying for the will of God in everything that we do. We'll continue this next week. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the words that you've given me. Lord, I thank you, Father, for the the commitment of those who stepped out today uh, to you, Lord, who recognize that in submission we need to have a touch of the Lord, and I believe that you've done that today. I ask you to bless our people, protect them, and bring them back safely next week to continue the study of your word as we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you.